All right, so uh, let's, just, let's just go ahead and get into it. Again, there's no real great way to move, move from that. I don't necessarily want us to move away from it, but um, let's get into it. We've, uh, we've talked the last few weeks uh, about one topic. What is that topic? Church. All right. Cheney, you are listening. Thank you. Did anybody else know the answer? We're in, we're in big trouble. Uh, we've been talking about church. So we started out just talking, defining church. We've got church global. We've got church local. Uh, and, but really the heart of this time, the last few weeks, was to discuss with you the importance of local church. Okay? And I've said it the last few weeks, just as a refresher, uh, the, the, um, the seriousness of the timing of this message is that you are about to be thrust into uh, the next phase of leadership in the church. Um, you guys uh, are, are in, in your college, uh, college years, uh, you're going you're gonna to take that time and then you're going to move into and define what church is going to be uh, really for the next 50 years. Um, and and that's going to be on you. Uh, and the scary part of it is, so there's, there's two things. I don't want to be just uh, uh, heavy, but the scary part of it is that your, your generation is walking away from church in droves. Um, and the younger you get, the... the, the uh, the more that, that you guys are choosing to walk away. However, that's not the case. I mean, the, you are obviously not that group. Um, and the, the encouragement is that as we're seeing different trends occur uh, in our nation, uh, we've talked about really the downfall of Christian America. Our, our politics, our culture, uh, our uh, you know, Hollywood, it, doesn't, it does not at all line up to uh, the scriptures. Uh, it, we used to live in a world not too long ago where uh, there was at least an effort uh, to, to honor the Lord. Uh, even if it wasn't expressed, there was a, uh, there was a civility uh, in everything that, that kind of uh, gleaned from the scriptures, right? But that's gone. That is, that is totally and completely uh, gone. Mainstream Christian America is not a real thing anymore. And so, but here's the good news, all right? So it's okay for us to be, to kind of not like that. Uh, and, and I think our reaction is, uh, is to lash out against that. But what I want to tell you is that it's not necessarily uh, a bad thing because now what's happening um, is the, the people that are, that are believers, people that do call themselves Christians, uh, you have a credibility that you did not have even when I was in school. Because when I was in school, and I'm not that much older than you, when I was in school, there was, it was still perceived as, if you were a Christian, that, that was just everybody. There was nothing special or significant about being a Christian. Uh, certainly in the Bible Belt, uh, which we're in, uh, there was nothing special or significant about being a Christian. Well, now it's totally different. That even in the Bible Belt, there is a credibility that is coming to people that call themselves believers, because it's no longer the popular thing to be and to do. The good news of this is you have this credibility that you didn't have uh, a lot longer ago, and to call yourself a believer is opening up conversations uh, because people really believe that it's true about you. Isn't that wild? Because to call yourself a Christian is really to mean something now, and I asked uh, three weeks ago, and it blew me away. I did not expect this answer. I asked how many of you in the last month have had a conversation about your faith, and 90% of the room raised your hand. Guys, I... There would have been like four of us <laughs> when I was in school in a room this size that would have, that would have raised their hand. One, because we were scared out of our mind. But uh, the other is uh, that it just wasn't, there was, no, there was no, no authenticity behind it. But you guys are having conversations like crazy. And so this is, uh, this is an exciting thing. 
It's a real deal to call yourself a believer, um, and, uh, and it's an exciting thing. And so what I want to do, the goal of this time has been to marry this, uh, what I believe God is doing in revival. We, we see something kind of going away, but something new is stirring in your generation. There's, there's revival stirring, and it's happening in all the small places. It's happening in your kitchens, in your living rooms. It's happening in, in conversations that aren't happening within the, uh, the four walls of the church. Uh, and it's very, very exciting. I believe God's doing something significant. Um, on your campus, uh, and on campuses across the country. If you just kind of listen to uh, college pastors and college students talk about what's happening on their campus, it's the very same thing. Um, there is this authentic uh, revival, and all revivals start small. All revivals start this way. They get popular when they get into big uh, venues, but they all start small. So this is very exciting. I feel like we're on the, uh, on the cusp of something large here. Um, but uh, what, I, what I think is so important is that as you begin to gain momentum in this revival, you have, you have got to recognize that you are part of a body and of a community of believers. If you go renegade right now and you go, man, you know what? Our generation is the only generation that gets it. Our generation is the only one that really wants to see revival. Our generation is really the only one that hungers and thirsts for the Lord. And if you go renegade like that, you're going to detach yourself from the very thing that Jesus loves and put in place that revival might sustain, right? Which is the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not one, uh, one faction of believers. It is, it, is a, uh, it is generations that span from all the way in the past to the generations that have not, have not even arisen yet, and they are all connected, okay? It's the reason last week I brought in George Middlebrook. Wasn't that awesome, listening to the history of the church? I wanted you to hear that because uh, you're connected to the purpose that this church was established for. This church started, uh, Fredonia Hill started um, as, a, as a church plant to be effective in the south side of the Nacogdoches community. And uh, as they began to, to grow, um, they, they, uh, they needed a building. And the very building that you're in, if we were to peel up the floors and look at the lumber, the building that you're in was, was, building that was, uh, or was lumber that was a man's house. And the Lord moved on his heart, and he donated, right before they were about to break ground and start building this house, he said, no, I'm going to donate it all and give it all to this church. And the building that you stand on was a building that was given uh, as it was a man's home. And he gave it all for the revival that was occurring here. So guys, we're in that legacy. And I wanted you to hear that because you're not disconnected from it. You're attached to it. You're a part of it. And you're telling the story that comes from, uh, from that beginning right? So it's so important that you as a generation love the local church. And you go, but Kendall, there's so many things wrong with it. I get it. I get it. And it doesn't take long to look at the landscape of, of the, certainly the Western church and go, there's so many things wrong with it. We're such hypocrites. We love our, we love our big stuff more than we love Jesus. And you, man, we all get it. We all see it. And it does not take a rocket scientist. Quit thinking you're the only one that sees the problems. Get in and fix it. You cannot be part of the health of the local church if you step away from it and all you do is shout accusation at her. And I, I've got to tell you that this is Jesus' love. It's his body and it's his bride. How foolish are we to champion the name of Jesus and then turn to his bride and scorn her? We can't do it, right? Right? And I'm not saying you guys are doing this, right? I'm not saying that at all. You guys are here. You guys are obviously invested. But what I'm asking is for more. I'm asking for more of an investment. 
Uh, I'm asking for you to, I, you know, you're, you're here for four years, uh, and, a, and a lot of you don't join a church because you're here for four years, but I don't think you're here for, for four years or five years or three years, whatever, as an accident. I believe the Lord brought you here purposefully, and I'm asking you to sign up for the team. I'm not gonna back away. Pat, Pat doesn't push as hard as I push. He says, he, he kind of will allow you to, he gives this grace that allows you to, uh, to not join the church, and I'm saying, why would you not sign up? Why would you not put your name on this team? Why would you not say, I am all in, I'm invested in what God is doing here? What I'm asking you to do, because I know you're bought in, I'm asking you to break this cycle of consumerism that we've, that we've established in the church that says, I'm gonna come and enjoy what I wanna enjoy and then walk away. I'm asking you to get your hands dirty. I'm asking you to look at a church with lots and lots and lots and lots of problems and say, I'm in. That's the, that's the brave thing to do. That's the renegade thing to do. Everybody's criticizing her. Will you love her? And that's what I've been talking about for the last few weeks. Um, and I don't normally do this. Uh, it's, it's kind of a, a strange morning. Christian was gonna talk this morning. Uh, I'd set him up about a month and a half ago. He wrote this phenomenal uh, blog piece that uh, I just loved and I wanted him to share the heart of it. So I was not planning on speaking this morning, but um, I, I actually am going to share with you from, from Titus uh, as we finish this up. Is it right? You receive that? I know it's pushing a little bit. I know that I'm kind of in your face a little bit on the church stuff, uh, and I know that that feels a little sticky, uh, but do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know it's going to sound like a plug, but... Uh, and it is, uh, but understand the heart behind it. To sign up for this church, uh, to be a member of this church, you have to go through what we're calling vision class. You can't, it's, we don't just let you walk the aisle and go, I'm in. We want you to know who the Lord has called us to be. The whole package, we want you to know everything. Uh, we'll share our history. We'll share what the Lord's called us into. You'll meet staff members. And there is actually one of those. There's, they're once a month, uh, but there is one of those today. Uh, I've been saying that for the last few weeks. There is one today after church. You don't, you just, just go. Um, if you are interested at all in joining this church, go to that as a requirement uh, in terms of joining. But if you go, you don't have to join. You just need to hear what we're about. Um, okay, so go to Titus chapter three. That's where we're gonna be this morning. Uh, I'm gonna jump around a little bit. Uh, but So this is kind of a strange deal. It's just not part of the church series. I'm kind of, I'm finished with that. Uh, yet we're in Titus still, and, uh, and that's where Pat's going to be, uh, and that's where we've been in this church series. So, uh, but I, I just, as I just was praying about this, uh, this morning, I just, uh, the, the conversations that I've had the last week, my heart is to encourage you. My heart is to, hopefully that's what's happening every morning, but my heart is really to encourage you this morning with just a few, uh, just a few things. So go to Titus chapter three, and we're going to read, uh, we're going to read just a few verses here. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish. If you find yourself in this boat, just nod. If you were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Anybody ever find yourself there? Yeah. Just me then. Okay. I like did the hand raising thing and it was awkward because no one else raised their hand. So I just, that's right. I, I was trying to protect your dignity. Anybody else been there? Maybe a nod. 
Okay, yeah, so we got some hand raisers. Now, don't get excited about it. I just... <laughs> All right. I love... Uh, the Bible does this so often. It paints this very bleak picture, and then it starts with these word, this word, uh, but. It's an exciting word in the scriptures, uh, and it says, uh, but when the kindness, in verse 4, and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared... So you see this contrast already. We were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But then the kindness and the love of God our Savior comes. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And watch this in verse six. This is where I want to land a little bit. It says, he washed us through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us. What's that next word? Generously. What else? Richly. Anything else? Abundantly. Whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior that having been justified by his grace, we would become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So here's how I want to encourage you this morning. I've had lots of conversations in the last month. And I think in, in, uh, in our walk with the Lord, we come to these moments where there's not a lot in the tank. You ever, have you ever been there? In our walk of faith, we, we, we just come to these places where we just feel like uh, th- there's, not, there's not a lot happening in my faith. I'm feeling a little bit dried up. I'm feeling a little bit empty. When I go to the Lord, uh, some, and I just don't, I don't feel it. Uh, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm on my campus, I don't have, this, I don't have courage uh, to, to share the gospel uh, in, my, in my relationships I don't, I don't feel like they're reflecting the Lord. It's, a, it's this dry spell. We, if you were to draw it out, you'd say there's, there's mountaintops, right? And then there's valleys, right? This is kind of what I'm talking about. We get in these phases, these places where we're not necessarily feeling it. And here's the deal. I don't think these are bad things. I don't, I don't think these are bad things. I'm not trying to, I'm not going to coach you uh, how to avoid these, Okay. Um, because this is, this is process of relationship. This is actually growth in the kingdom. Because what you don't know is what you're actually on is something like this. Always increasing in your relationship with the Lord. This is what we may uh, talk about it as. But what we're, what we're describing is thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Not things that are happening in the spirit. Does this make sense? We're, we're talking about feelings. We're talking about these, these mental assumptions that we've made. And so we analyze ourselves and go, man, I'm really in a valley. And what the Lord's going is, no, you're in actually one of the, a, a great time of growth, right? But uh, I wanna, what I want to do is not coach you out of those times, but encourage you in those times. Here's the dangerous place I think we go. In those valleys, what I've seen uh, I've, man, I've been there in my own life. Uh, I, I, I battle these. These, these, are, these valley times are my, my biggest uh, enemy. I begin a self-analysis in these times. And it's that self-analysis that I want to address this morning. Because what we do in those valley times is we begin to go, what's wrong with me? Right? Anybody? What's wrong with me? Am I not approaching the Lord correctly? 
Am I not praying right? Anybody ever ask that question? Well, okay, maybe, you know what? I, haven't, I didn't do my quiet time yesterday. Okay, so maybe I need to, okay, and I'm only waking up at 7.30 to do that. If I wake up at 6, maybe, then, maybe I'll really be a standout Christian. And we begin this analysis, right? And it sounds funny when I'm, when I'm saying it from here, but we begin this, this analysis. And what are we analyzing? We're analyzing ourselves. We're analyzing our right to approach the Father, Right? We're analyzing what we have done in order to be in communion uh, with him. And here's the deal. If you begin to analyze yourself, you are always going to end up in a deeper hole than you started. Why? That's right. It gives the enemy a foothold because he's going to agree with everything you say in the flesh. Anybody know the enemy loves your flesh? loves, loves, loves your flesh. And when you speak out of your flesh, when you say things that are not in accordance with the Spirit, when you speak out of, uh, in things that are not of faith, the enemy says, yeah, you're right. Let me just agree with you, right? Loves your flesh. What else? Why are you gonna get deeper than you were before? Yeah, yeah. And, and guys, if you, if you look at your, if you just look at yourself, and begin to analyze your righteousness apart from him, you're always going to end up in a deeper hole. Why? Because you, you weren't saved by your own works in the first place. You begin analyzing yourself and your right to approach God, absent the cross, absent Jesus, you're always gonna go, man, this is, this is frustrating. I don't, I don't deserve to be here. And, and you're gonna try to find your way out the same way you got in by what you can change about yourself. And you, it's, it's uh, everybody ever seen a hamster run on a wheel? You're like, I own a treadmill. <laughs> yeah? Have you ever seen a human run on a treadmill? It's the same thing, right? <laughs> Lots of work and effort. You're not going to get anywhere. Lots and lots of work and effort, and you're not going to get anywhere. And then you'll probably end up like one of those hamsters that just runs back and forth on the glass. You know, you ever seen those? They're just crazy. Uh, nobody's ever seen that. Okay. You just can laugh at all my jokes. And you'll just be my, my laugher. How's that? She's not even listening. Yeah. Okay. Look, you got to be my laugher. If you're going to laugh at my bad jokes, you got to do it every time. You can't leave me hanging, all right? Okay. I need like a laugh meter or something. To... Okay. Let's focus. So you get in these. Let's turn this one more time. You get in these moments because of self-analysis and by self-analysis, by self uh uh, increase, like if I, if I can just be better, do better, I'm gonna get out. Well, here's what I want you to do. We gotta recognize something very quickly, okay? We gotta recognize this word right here in verse six. It says, uh, it talk, in speaking of the Holy Spirit, it says, whom he poured out abundantly. What does that word abundantly mean? A lot. It means a lot. What, what were some of the other words that you guys said? Generously and richly. What, what of those words, I'm just gonna keep doing this, this is great. What of those words talks about lack? In fact, yeah, they're, they're the opposite, right? Abundance is the opposite of lack. But what we do when we get to these moments is we begin to analyze ourselves, analyze our walk with the Lord based on our works, and we determine that I am somehow lacking. 
I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough works. I don't have enough Holy Spirit. I don't have enough relationship with God. I don't have enough testimony to share this week. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I must be lacking. And we begin to live our lives as if we don't have the abundance that Jesus has given us. We begin to live as if we are second-class citizens in the kingdom. And there's two things that we have, we have got to lock in on. Number one, that is absolutely not the case. That, what does it say, what does it say in, verse, uh, in verse four? It says, when the kindness of the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Listen to this in verse five. Not by works of righteousness. What did you do that drew the kindness of God? Nothing. Look, and this was when you were in your filth. You did nothing to stir the kindness of God towards you. It was just his disposition to you. His kindness to you wasn't drawn because Stephen did something right and he was like, man, I think Stephen just really needs a, a God boost right now. He's really set himself up right and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna come and give him a little boost. No, the kindness of God came when you were in your filth. And it says he rescued you by this word grace. The scripture says, while you were yet sinners, he poured out his gift of love for you in the cross. Listen, you didn't beckon the kindness of God. It just came by grace. And you just met it like, you, like head on. And the grace of God consumed you. The kindness of God consumed you and you were saved. How can we walk away from that moment? What a precious moment that should be in each of your lives. That moment when the kindness and the grace of God overwhelms you to salvation. That should be a moment that you never, ever, 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 ever forget because it is a moment that you must go back to in these times because it says that there was nothing that I did that deserved the kindness of God. But it was all about who he is, his nature, his disposition, and his sacrifice on the cross. All of it through this vehicle of grace came to me. And now in this moment, is that grace any less? Is it? I think we get to these rough patches in our life and we think that it is. We think that that grace has lost some power. We think that that kindness, that, that unprovoked kindness of God has lost its power. But I want to tell you that the truth uh, is that it, it can never, grace never leaves our lives. And it's not by anything you did, but we live in this, this paradigm of abundance. And this is something we've got to understand to walk through these moments. That nothing has been taken from you. Nothing has been removed from you. Nothing is missing. The fullness and the abundance and the riches of the Holy Spirit are yours. Here and here. What gets dangerous is when we begin to go, you know what, I, maybe I need a little more Holy Spirit. Maybe, I need a little, maybe God needs to do a little more on my behalf. Maybe, maybe I'm just somehow missing something. And you create for yourself a position of lack when the truth is you're in riches. And when you confront the enemy and you've got, uh, you've got this idea that I'm lacking and missing something, you're gonna lose every time. 
I, I've, I've taught this so many times, I think it's a brilliant picture. The armies of Israel were standing against the Philistines. They were, they were on two peaks and the valley was in between them. And this man named Goliath, this giant man would come across into the valley and he would shout at them every single day. It says he presented himself, himself for 40 days and he would shout. And he said, if one of you will rise up and come destroy me, then you will win. If not, if I win, then, then, then we win. And a whole army of the living God that if, if in one uh, act of obedience they would walk onto the battlefield, they would gain victory. All of them analyzed themselves. They found in themselves the inability to destroy what was in front of them and they did not move onto the battlefield. Therefore giving the enemy absolute victory without raising a finger. You see that? And why did it happen? Because they lost sight of the promise. They lost sight of who they were. Every one of them disconnected themselves from the other and analyzed themselves. You see this happening here? Analyzed themselves and went, I do not have in me the strength and the ability to destroy Goliath. Therefore, I will not move onto the battlefield. The contrast comes with David. And David shows up and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the living God? And he picks up five smooth stones And he marches across the field, and as he's marching, the enemy gets louder. He says, I'm going to destroy you, and I'm going to feed you to the dogs. And David puts a stone right in his forehead, stands on his chest, chops off his head, and raises it up to the rest of the enemy's army, and the Israelites come flying onto the battlefield. Why? Because one man didn't operate from a position of lack, but he operated from a position of promise. He operated from a position of abundance, of abundance that said, God has told me I'm going to be king. He's given me everything, supplied every need for me to be king, and I'm not king now, so I'm going to walk up on the battlefield, and I'm going to destroy this man. But see, if we shift and become like the armies of Israel, and in tough moments, in, in these valley moments, we begin, to, we begin to analyze ourselves and go, well, I just don't have enough faith. I just don't have enough God. I just don't have enough Holy Spirit. Then you will not march onto the battlefield. Go to Luke chapter 11. We've got to have a a shift in our thinking. And it has to come with grace. It has to come with grace because you've, you've got to understand that you do have abundance, but you don't have abundance because you earned it. Right? Your quiet time schedule is not what gives you the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The times you've prayed today does not give you the uh, equipping that you need to encounter the moment that you're about to head into. It's the grace of God that has supplied all you need. And first, we've got to understand I do have abundance. But second, it's not because of what I did. It's because of the grace of God. That same grace that saved me is that grace that sustains the abundant riches given to me in Jesus. So Luke chapter 11. I just want us to, I want us to begin to shift our thinking, to start believing we're people of abundance. Because some of you are in a dry moment right now. Some of you, you may be a young Christian. And you're like, man, if I could just be more like, this person next to me that is a better Christian than I am, then somehow I could operate in a greater favor with God. Then somehow I'm gonna earn the right to overcome what's in front of me. This isn't true. We have abundance in Jesus because of Jesus. And if you are his, you are his heir and you have received all that is his. So in Luke chapter 11, verse 11, it says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, 
will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who have earned it? Oh, wait. That's our theology. The scripture says, how much more will he give to those who ask, right? The scripture talks about a good father. Not just a good father, but a perfect father. That has abundantly poured out his kindness and his grace that he might save us. And in that same kindness and grace has given us all we need pertaining to life and godliness. We're going to read that in just a minute. And he says, and because I'm a good father, not because you earned it, but because I'm a good father, I'm gonna pour out on you the riches of myself, which is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you absolutely everything you need. There will never be a moment, guys, listen, there will never be a moment in your Christian life where you do not have everything that you need. There will never be a moment that you do not have everything you need. Why? Because it's been supplied to you perfectly by grace through the kindness of a father, a good and perfect father. What does it look like to be in spiritual poverty? What does it look like when we operate from a position of lack? I've been there. I could describe to you me, but you guys to talk a little bit. You get, yeah, you get depressed. Yeah. 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 There's riches all around you. And you, what else? What do you want to look like when you're in those moments? What do you want to look like to the world around you, especially to your church family? Yeah, that you're all right. When you have it all together. Yeah. You guys know, um, you guys know North Korea? You've heard of this place? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> guys, I know school's almost over. We've got to get it together. I'm not going to probably pronounce this right, but you ever heard of uh, the city in North Korea, Kijong Dong? Anybody ever heard of it? Yeah? It's an interesting city. Uh, Go ahead and put a picture up here, Brittany. It's a very, very, very interesting city. That's Kijong Dong. This is is taken from uh, uh, close to the uh, South Korean border, so uh, Kijong Dong is right, um, right... Close to the border, it's a, you say it's a border uh, city of, uh, between North and South Korea. Go to the next picture. That's a flag tower. It looks a little bit like the Eiffel Tower. There's a, a huge flag on it. I think it's something like, uh, oh, I'm going to mess it up, but I, th- I think it's something around 600 and something feet. Uh, it's really, really tall. Uh, in, in fact, in South Korea, the, the neighboring city in South Korea, uh, they built a, uh, a tower uh, a, a flag tower, and then the North Koreans uh, obviously saw that and decided that it was not okay that they were being outdone, and so 
Uh, I don't know, kind of like uh, Texas and A&M. You guys heard of these two as well? They just decided to outdo each other. Uh, and so they built this, this, uh, this bigger one. Um, I don't know if you guys heard about that. That's funny. Um, when, I think it was when UT was building their football stadium. They disclosed this seating capacity that was fake. Uh, and, and so uh, A&M thought that they, they still had the bigger, uh, bigger stadium. Well, when it actually opened, uh, it was bigger. And it was like they, they didn't want it to get ahead. But now I think A&M is actually bigger. They've added on, they added on a few seats just to, so, yeah, so, okay, so. In a, I don't know, but it's kind of funny. And uh, this, this is similar. Here's the crazy thing. Go back to that first picture. What do you, tell me about the people here. What do you see? Okay. What do you think is the uh, economy here? Come on, guys. Take a picture. Make a guess. <laughs> what do you think? Tell me about it. What about the guy that lives right here? Tell me about him. How far is his commute? Make up a story. You guys ever done this before? Like, what do you think about the people who live there? <laughs> okay, it looks like lots of, looks like they could be apartments or houses. These look maybe more like houses. Looks like a what? Okay. Doesn't look like a farming community. Doesn't look like there's a lot of crops happening around here. So maybe they're commuters. What do you think this is? Hmm? Maybe a factory. So maybe some of them work there. Small town, right? Are the people here happy? No. Maybe. Why not? We... Because they live in a small town? Gosh, gosh. <laughs> it looks pretty dead. It looks pretty dead. You know what? It is dead. Not a soul lives there. It's a fake city. It's a fake city built by the North Koreans in order to entice de, uh, South Korean defectors and also to give this appearance of somewhat of livelihood. And, and obviously the flag, go back to the flag. Um, the flag is also this, you know, I mean, they're building things there, real big, nice things there. So... Uh, it looks like things are, things are good, but not a soul lives there. The silliness of it is that from South Korea, you can see that there are no windows and that there's not a single person that lives there. But what was important? Perception, right? What's important in this city is perception. What's important to the North Koreans is perception. If, you go on a, if you're a uh, journalist and you ever get the... Uh, the treat, I guess, of going to North Korea, they will only take you to selected sites. You can take pictures all you want of these, of these propaganda buildings. Uh, and, and what you don't ever see is the, the poverty that is really on the inside. Why? Because perception is the most important thing. And this is, this is the way that we get, right? This place is totally depraved and lacking in life. But what becomes important in that position is perception. There's not a soul there, but the, the expense that was made in order to look like somebody lived there was tremendous. When we get in this position of spiritual lack, when we come into this place of poverty, all of our attention goes to perception. And not just perception of the people around us, but how do I perceive myself, right? 
And this is the most dangerous one because this is the spiral where we go, okay, how do I perceive myself? Well, I'm not doing this enough. I'm not having enough prayer time. I'm not having enough quiet time. I haven't gone to church. I missed that one week because uh, I needed to go see my mother. And so uh, maybe that's why I'm, I'm not lacking. We begin this thing of self-analysis and we try to fix the way we feel by the perception that we have in front of others and to ourselves. And what really needs to happen is we need to come back to the promise of God that says, I have poured out on you all the riches of my kingdom in my grace through my son. Go to first, uh, nope, go to Ephesians chapter one. So whether you feel it or not, there's truth. You guys know what I'm gonna draw? Now it's a joke, but you better all know this backwards and forward. When we get into a place of lack, what are we analyzing? When we get to a position where we believe that we are somehow spiritually in poverty, what are we analyzing? It's all coming right here. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our... All right, good. Basically... It's how we think, feel, and decide. Right? Right? All of this, all of this right here is based on perception and reaction. Right? All, all of what is happening here is perceiving the world around you and perceiving yourself, right? That's how, that's how you survived before you became a Christian. Self-preservation. You analyzed the situation around you and you made decisions based on how you felt and thought about what was going on around you, right? It's, it's very simple, but Michael, if I were to throw you this pen, you were to react. What is, what's happening? He's gonna throw it back as the okay throw. But uh, don't make me bend too much in this uh, it's an okay throw, but, but what, what's happening? He's reacting to his environment, right? After a while, if we were to throw this back and forth and then I were to give him a little fake, he might, right? Because he's trained himself to react to a certain set of circumstances. Well, that's when we come to a position of spiritual poverty, we are operating here. Our position with God is based on how I think and how I feel and what I've done today. And what needs to happen is we need to move this perception uh, into the spirit because here is where we are going to find truth, all right? So what's the truth? The truth is in Ephesians 1, anybody there? Somebody read verse uh, 1 through 6. Okay, so the conduit through which all this flows is grace. But what does he say in verse three? Who has blessed us 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now watch this. In Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now let's take an inventory. Who thinks that means you're in poverty? Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Are you equipped to do the work he's called you to do? Are you equipped to live this life of godliness? You have every, not mostly, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, but where did it come? How did it come? In whom? In Christ. Do you see the, do you see the, the, uh, the paradigm shift here? It goes from, what do I perceive that I am able to do? I have perceived that I am not able to do much, therefore I must be lacking spiritually too. What has grace given in Christ? And now that answer is the truth, which is I have been given every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. Not by what I have done, but by what he has given in his kindness. Go to 2 Peter chapter one. And I'm gonna wrap us up here. Second Peter chapter one, verse one says to uh, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And watch this. As his divine power, whose? His divine power has given to us all things, What's missing there? Nothing. Just as before, every means all of it. He has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by whose glory? By his glory and virtue by which have been given to us, this is awesome, what is it? exceedingly great. The kingdom is full of double positives. Our English language uh, criticizes double negatives. The kingdom's full of double positives. Isn't this awesome? Exceedingly great. Do those even go together? It does in the kingdom. Exceedingly great and precious. There's a triple of promises. That through these, look, that through these things which he has poured out on us in grace, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Anybody just blown away by what has been given to you? All things pertaining to life and godliness, every spiritual blessing, and all so that you might partake in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. Does this ever really exist? Or is it just a bad perception based on how we think and feel when the truth in the spirit is this word? Abundance. How do you access it? How do you access abundance? If it's true, all right? Uh, right now, uh, right now, Ryan, if I were to deposit 
$20,000 in your bank account. Is it there? Yeah, as long as, I, as long as my money's good, right? Yeah, see, this is a trick. If I write him a check for $20,000 and he goes to put it in the bank and my money's not good, then does he have it? No. That's why it's important that we recognize that all this abundance comes by grace through him, not by what you earned. If you try to make that deposit with what you've earned, it will not cash. But because he is the one that has given us this abundance, when we make that deposit, what's going to happen? $20,000 is going to show up in his bank account. Now, how does he use it? How does he use it? A lot of us got $20,000 sitting in the bank account spiritually. In fact, every one of you does. Why? Because that came through the promise of Jesus, not because of what you did. So I know if you're sitting in this room and you're saved, you have abundance, right? Say, I have abundance. abundance. It's the truth. But why are you not using it? Okay. Okay. How does he use it? Yeah, just, just take it. Just use it as if it was your own. Huh? All he's got to do is, go, I mean, gosh, go pay cash for a car. You can do that. Why? Because the deposit that's been made on your behalf is enough. So all he's got to do is now operate as if it's his. Does that make sense? So much of us, it's like, we, we even claim the promises of God. We claim the abundance of God. But then we don't act like, we don't live in it as if it's ours. We're like, God is so good. He's given me so much and I cannot figure out how to get past this right here. God is so gracious. He is so powerful. He has given me the spirit of being an overcomer. I have no fear. The promises of God are full and true and I cannot get out of this addiction. Come out. Because all that you need to come out has been given in Jesus. But we operate from this position of lack, and so we live as if we're lacking when really the riches that abound in the heavenly places are all around us. All that you need for life and godliness has been given to you. And Jesus says, I'm going to read this and we're going to be finished. In John chapter 15, this is how it's done. Very simple. I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may, may bear more fruit. We'll talk about pruning later. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And listen to this, verse four and five. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So how do you do it? How do you access it? Abide in him. It's all his, it's all in him. Abide, get in him and then he will come out of you. Abide, abide, abide. Abide says this, all right? Some of you are like, man, I don't ever use that word. I don't know what that means. Abide is to recognize that my life and my ability is not enough to do what I've been called to do. Somebody else must do it for me. Right now, you are abiding in your seat. What have you done with that seat? You've trusted it to do what you believed it would do when you sat down. Good thing we had no sabotages in here right? You, you sat down without thinking because you trusted the work of the chair. That's abide. There is, a lot of you, there's complete rest. And some of you, it's, there's too much rest. 
right? You are the perfect picture of resting and abiding right now in the chairs. Some of you to the point of snoozing. Just kidding. Maybe. Don't look to your neighbor. (laughs) This is abiding. Trusting Jesus to do what he said he would do. Do you know what he said he would do? Do you know the abundance that yours? And then are you accessing it by resting in him? God, I am not capable of living this day, but I know that abundance has been given to me in order to do it. Abide. Make sense? Yeah? Okay. Lord, I pray this truth would sink in. I pray that we would recognize we are not people of poverty, but we are people of riches. And just as an act of agreeing with you, I just want us to say, uh, I am rich in him. Say that out loud. Okay, now say it as if you actually believe it. I am rich in him. I have everything needed for this day. Say it. I have everything needed for this day. You just repeat after me. How's that? I have everything needed for this day. I have all things pertaining to life and godliness. I have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed, not released.